Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for our Friday episode for Week 10 of the 2023-2024 NBA season. And speaking of, 2024 is fastly approaching. The next time we'll be on this podcast, it will be the new year, 2024. Wyatt, I'll just ask you real quick, any big New Year's resolutions that uh, are 100% going to be kept and definitely not dropped within uh, two <laughs> Uh, all of them no <laughs> yeah <laughs> all, and when i say all of them i i'm serious because i haven't made any yet so <laughs> there you go you can't you can't fall short if you don't make a resolution right <laughs> that's right yeah, yeah fair enough i i have a few ideas but uh you know every year it's like oh this is something i'm definitely going to do and then you know the the one or two times you don't do it if it's like a routine thing that's like well you know for now i'll just not worry about that but uh mm-hmm. No, I, I, it's exciting. I'm excited for what uh, 2024 has in store for us, and especially here at the podcast. I think we're excited about that. Um, of course, I am Carson. Welcome to the show and or welcome back to the show. If you're a previous listener or you're brand new to the show, we ex- want to uh, express our appreciation of your support. And uh, of course, I mentioned his name already, but joining us, uh, our co-host, Wyatt. How are you doing today, Wyatt? I'm doing well. Uh, also speaking of 24 my brother-in-law got me 2k24 for christmas so there you go uh, i am back in the 2k realm after not playing <laughs> it seriously since 16 i think was the last one that i put any appreciable wow. amount of time in that's quite a while uh, you notice as it if you have that long of a gap surely you can see you know some improvements there um yeah i it's different not <laughs> you'd be surprised how still insignificant it is you yeah know, the, shot, the shot bar is different but it, they seem to change that up pretty much every year mm-hmm. um yeah i i think it's better i think it's a little more uh user friendly and uh maybe the the haptics of like the right joy con or a little more or the right uh joystick are a little more intuitive gotcha uh, with that little slip, sounds like you're playing it on the Switch. No, I'm playing it on the PlayStation, but oh, um, interesting! I, it's been on <laughs> Joy Cons have been on my mind because I have uh, been semi interested in getting another set because we only have one set Joy Cons right now. But oh, gotcha. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. No, yeah, I uh, I haven't played 2K24 in a little while. I was pretty consistent when I first got it, playing it for about the first month, like almost every day maybe the first mm-hmm. month and a half. And then I missed a couple of days and then I just haven't, I haven't even played it in a long time. So, you know, it is what it is. Happens. But yeah, yeah <laughs> it happens. But we digress. Of course, we, you know, we, we each have our own gripes with 2K, I'm sure maybe me more than Wyatt, but <laughs> that's besides the point. Let's go ahead and waste no more time. Let's jump right into things. And uh, we're going to follow pretty much our normal Friday uh, show schedule. And that starts with our five on five drill and six men for the last couple of days, our, our game summaries, if you're not familiar with those segments, which will be followed by our key news. Okay, so to start off, we have, again, our five-on-five drill, the five games that we're going to focus on a little more in detail. And for this, we have one game from Wednesday night, and the other four are from last night, Thursday night's action. Um, And this time around, we're going to shift the uh, 
I don't know what words I combined there. I, I was between shift and mix, but somehow <laughs> it became ship. I don't know. Anyways, um, we're going to mix up things a little bit. Uh, in recent weeks, we've done, you know, uh, Wyatt and I taking turns, and we'll probably do that uh, next week or the week after. But for this time around, we're going to do, I'm just going to focus on the main game summaries, why it's going to kind of be my, uh, you know, adding in, you know, additional thoughts on stats and, and things of that nature. Um, so with that being said, let's go ahead and start with that Wednesday game. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks hosting the Cleveland Cavaliers. And of course, the Mavericks have been uh, blessed with incredible play recently from Luka Doncic. I mean, all season, but especially lately, he stepped it up even further. But the Cavaliers, resilient, hung around, and they were able to go on a great run in the uh, last half of the fourth quarter uh, to stun the Mavericks, a uh, 113 to 110 victory in Dallas for the Cleveland Cavaliers, a 15-0 run at one point in this game. I believe that was in that uh, fourth quarter. In the last six minutes or so, it was a 22-9 run. Um, so it was a, a big difference. I mean, it looked like the Mavericks had kind of controlled the game, but you could see it. I mean, second quarter was their biggest lead, and slowly but surely the, the Cavs brought it just a little bit closer, a little bit closer, before, you know, until they were in the right position to make a bigger run at it. They, they, you know, steal a lead and then the Mavericks are unable to respond and, and get the offense needed to, to take the lead back. So a great win for Cleveland. They out-rebounded the Mavericks by 20 rebounds in this game, and they also had 12 more assists. So outplaying the Mavericks there, even though the Mavericks didn't turn over the ball as much and had more defensive stats, um, the Cavs were a better three-point shooting team. So both teams had their share of stats that, they kind of did better, but, you know, credit to the Cavaliers for being, you know, clutch game down the stretch. For the Mavericks, they were led by the aforementioned Luka Doncic, 39 points, seven rebounds, six assists, two steals, two blocks, five turnovers, a little higher, but, I mean, still shot very well from the floor, three of ten from three uh, is fairly solid. They got 19 points off the bench from Seth Curry, uh, 14 points from Tim Hardaway Jr., 13 from Dante Exum, 12 points from Derek Jones Jr. No Kyrie Irving again. Uh, of course, he's missed the last week, maybe a couple weeks with that uh, heel foot injury. Hopefully he's making a return from that soon. I don't think we've seen any uh, bigger updates on that front. Meanwhile, for the Cavaliers, um, they're playing her. I mean, they, they had no Donovan Mitchell in this game, and they already were without you know, Darius Garland and uh, Evan Mobley. So they're playing very shorthanded and they got an impressive night from Karis Levert still coming off the bench, especially you would think with the depleted roster that he would start this kind of a game, but uh, off the bench in this game, 28 minutes, 29 points along with seven assists, six of 11 from three point range. And then how about Jared Allen? 24 points, 23 rebounds for the big man for the fro inside uh, six assists and two steals as well. <clears throat> Impressive numbers for those two guys. And they had some uh, solid supporting stuff for Isaac Okoro. 22 points for him, four of seven from three, and then 16 points off the bench as well for George Niang, um, who was four of eight from three. And then uh, how about Craig Porter Jr., a undrafted name who's carved out a little bit of a niche in the Cavs rotation. 12 rebounds, seven assists, and three steals with a block as well for the young guard, the the point guard playing in relief of Garland and Mitchell, who might play those kind of spots. And so impressive win for the Cavs. Looked like some frustration. I saw a little bit of a clip from, from Luca towards the end of the game. Frustration with how that closing um, possession went down. 
um, Wyatt, maybe some some takes on this victory and maybe the Cavs season in general, especially with those injuries in consideration. Um, you know, we've seen them fluctuate, hovering around maybe between 10 and 15 in our power rankings. Haven't made mm -hmm. it too big of a leap, but what do you think uh, is going to be maybe a roadmap uh, outside of just the the injuries? I don't know. Just your thoughts, I guess, on on the Cavs in general this season and where they can go. Yeah, I mean, for I definitely think this game speaks a lot for their uh, their potential. You know, the Mavericks have been a pretty solid team so far, and of course they're down Kyrie Irving. But like you said, the Cavs are uh, down a lot of uh, their personnel due to injury, and I think that once they get everything back together, they could, they could be a very competitive team again. Uh, just want to comment on Jared Allen, like. He should work a little harder in the paint. Only twenty three. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> took, a, took a night off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, expect a little more from him. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> but no, I think they're I think they're an impressive team. They haven't really got it going yet this year, but this obviously shows that they can. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, and I I would agree, and I I think sometimes these games are nice in the sense that you're giving your bench guys and especially those younger guys like Craig Porter Jr. or you know Dean Wade who's still relatively young or some of those other guys you're giving them opportunities to play bigger minutes to try and win games against tougher teams. You know, it's not ideal. Obviously, you'd like to have the consistency of your starting lineup and your stars playing together, but there can be some positives taken away from this and it could pay dividends in some sense in the in the depth category later on. So, so yeah, I think there's yeah. some great things to see from the Cavs, especially lately with those injuries where they've been able to string wins together. You know, it shows a lot of, of toughness and resiliency from that squad. Um, some light concerns for the Mavericks, but they've still been playing well. Uh, so overall, a great win for the Cavs. Um, but yeah, let's jump to our next game. And this takes us to our Thursday night action last night. And um, I mentioned with our last episode and our last weekly prediction that I wouldn't, I would hold off from the more in-depth Pistons talk, but that doesn't fully apply to, to games when, I mean, we've got to talk about this when it was an overtime game in Boston against the Celtics and it's the Detroit Pistons that forced it. I mean, they almost had, and a very impressive win to not only you know beat a team like the Celtics, but to also break the streak to not tie the worst losing streak full stop in NBA history, which of course spans multiple seasons. Um, they had that opportunity, but unfortunately you're now in an overtime situation with arguably the best team in the NBA right now. And um you know, you, they just don't know how to close out those games and haven't closed them out all year. And uh, the Celtics come out on top, 128 to 122 in overtime. Your final score for the Boston Celtics, the expected outcome, as you know, you you don't expect the, the Pistons to be competitive in this one, but you got to give them a lot of credit for, for fighting hard. And they actually led this game 20-plus points at halftime. It looked like the Celtics might get, routed almost i mean they just did not come to play in the first half but the celtics responded in the second half uh tied the game at the end of the third quarter it was back and forth from there um i think there's like seven or eight lead changes in the fourth quarter onward um so again it was a it was a tough game but of course with the loss the pistons have 28 straight losses which again is tied for the longest losing streak in nba history which is tied with the uh 
Philadelphia 76ers of around 2014-2015. If the Pistons lose their next game, they would have the worst losing streak, I believe, not only in the NBA's history, but potentially in the history of you know MLB and um, NHL, maybe. Professional sports. <laughs> yeah, big four. I think NFL is questionable because I feel like the Browns went 0-16 back-to-back years, but I might be incorrect. Uh, they might have been 1-15 in one of those seasons, but um, they're they're going to be up there, and that's definitely not where you want to be if you're the Pistons. But I think there's some bright spots for the Pistons still. You know, they're a young team. You got to like the talent that they have amassed, even if it's not really producing right now. Looking at the stats, they're led by Cade Cunningham, who's been their star this season. 31 points, 9 assists, 6 rebounds. Three steals and two blocks. Who uh, he also went four of six from three. That is some incredible all-round production um, in today's NBA. And a little bit of a spoiler for later in the episode, we will talk about Cade late in this episode. But uh, a great stat line for him, nonetheless. Jaden Ivey with twenty-two points, ten rebounds. Uh, Boyan Bogdanovich seventeen points, twelve rebounds. Uh, Jalen Duran fifteen points, fourteen rebounds, twelve points off the bench for Alec Burks. Um, good rebounding numbers for those guys, especially Ivy as a guard. But the Celtics, led by Chris Epps Porzingis in this game, 35 points and eight rebounds. Uh, Jason Tatum with 31, 10 assists, and five steals, along with seven rebounds. Uh, and then Derek White, 23 points, five assists, four boards. Drew Holiday with 12 points, nine rebounds, three assists, a steal, and a block. The team, I the Celtics shot below 30% from three, but uh, they just kind of out talented in a sense and and out experienced the self the pistons if you will and uh again it just goes to the pistons needing that experience and needing to have these tough times to learn how to close out games and uh it'll be you know a crucible in a sense for the pistons to to get better uh you would think all this kind of now now there's increased pressure because now it's a national thing how many games will they lose you know, when will the streak end? And it gets harder for them now because other teams are going to say, we don't want to be the team, at least we imagine. But yeah. you got to figure they don't want to be the team that loses to the team that's lost 28 <clears throat> straight games. So it, it's a tricky road. But um, Wyatt, let's maybe talk about, I'll phrase it this way, because I think that Cade clearing away is, you know, the brightest spot for the Pistons at the moment. Who's your next best pick for, you know, building a Pistons team that can be competitive in the future, the next best player that's going to be a part of that success? Um, I think, I mean, I think right now Bogdanovich okay. is who I'd call the next best uh, player for them. But I think Jalen Duran is a real bright spot for him mm. as well. And is a, you know, a younger guy that I think is, going to be a great person to build with and i think you know him and cunningham are the makings of a pretty great team in the future for sure no i would i would echo that 100 percent. duran would be my pick you know ivy i could almost see him um because kate i imagine is the the point guard of their future i mean he's a bigger guard but he distributes well and you know he can he can run their offense i would think so Ivy did f- always kind of feel weird ever since, you know, the prior draft when they picked him up. It's like the talent is obvious, but his fit alongside Kitty Cunningham to me has felt weird. So I almost wonder if he would be a trade piece to bring back, you know, 
some sort of other younger player that would be more of a forward that would fill those kind of spots. But um, yeah, Duran, I mean, his, um, his rebounding and he's shown some defensive ability inside as well. I think that could be a good pairing pick and roll action with Duran and Cunningham. You know, I think, I think they will be good. And at some point in the future and probably more than near future, you know, two or three seasons down the road, they could be a lot better than people might anticipate. But for now, it's definitely a struggle. Um, close game here, surprise, but again, credit to the Celtics for being able to close that out. And that's just what the Pistons are going to get the experience to be able to do uh, in the future. But the Celtics, you know, a, a recent finals appearance for them, and they have that experience to close out these these regular season games. And that's kind of all it comes down to. Uh, let's jump to that next game. Uh, the Chicago Bulls hosting the Indiana Pacers, a Pacers squad that has been waning a bit since their in-season tournament finals birth. But uh, Tyrese Halliburton would not be denied on this night, uh, powering the Pacers to a win 120 to 104, your final score in Chicago as Halliburton became the second only player in NBA history. The only other being Chris Paul to have, uh, at least 20 points and 20 assists with zero turnovers. And he continues to have these incredible statistics of high assists, low to no turnovers with scoring ability with three point shooting. And he continues to make a case for a potential all NBA berth. Uh, certainly at this point in the season, he's up there in that conversation, maybe a dark horse MVP if the Pacers were winning a handful more games. Um, but he's been phenomenal looking at the stats for the bulls. First of all, uh, Patrick Williams, 22 points for him, three assists, two steals. DeMar DeRozan, 21 points, five assists, two steals. Uh, they got 16 rebounds from Andre Drummond. Again, another solid defensive or a solid rebounding game for him. Seven offensive rebounds uh, has not slowed down in the rebounding category in his career. Uh, 16 points from Kobe White and then 15 for both Alex Caruso and Ayo Desomu. Uh, Desomu's points coming off the bench. Meanwhile, for the Pacers, yes, uh, Halliburton, 21 points, 20 assists, no turnovers. Two steals on a block as well. Six of 13 from the three-point range. Uh, leading scorer, though, Miles Turner, 24 points for him with six boards, three blocks. Uh, 19 off the bench for Buddy Heald. 15 for both Jalen Smith and Benedict Matherin. And then 12 points for Aaron Neesmith. Balanced scoring. Uh, the team shot 45% from three compared to the Chicago Bulls, 25% from three. And uh, that's a big difference maker along with that incredible point guard play for Halliburton, not to mention 12 rebounds off the bench for Obi Toppin, uh, who's had some nice games and and played a nice role for the Pacers his first season in Indiana. So great win for the Pacers. Wyatt, any quick thoughts on them before we jump to our next game? Uh, just Halliburton's a stud. Yeah, he is. Proceed. Um, <laughs> not much more you can say he's been yeah. uh, he's been phenomenal so let's jump to that next game let's talk about the uh denver nuggets hosting the memphis grizzlies the grizzlies of course had won four or five straight with uh the recently returned john morant but the nuggets showed that hey we've been consistent this season and the grizzlies you you're just on a little you know short win streak with your recently returned star you're going to need to get some more mileage to build up that you know uh I don't know, solidness, if we can use a word awkwardly um, in the season, but the Nuggets just thrashed the Grizzlies in Denver, 142 to 105, your final score. And Nikola Jokic also adding to the history books. He became the second only player uh, behind Wilt Chamberlain to have multiple triple doubles while shooting 100% from the floor. And that's on a minimum of 10 field goal attempts. So phenomenal stats didn't help 
that the didn't help the Grizzlies that they were without John Morant, certainly. Um, so kind of was the Grizzlies that we've seen before Morant returned. Uh, but they had 23 points from Desmond Bain, 17 from the recently returned Marcus Smart. Great to see him back in the lineup. 15 off the bench from David Roddy, 14 from Jaron Jackson Jr., and then 10 off the bench from John Conchar as well. For the Nuggets, yes, Jokic, 26 points, 14 rebounds, 10 assists, 11 of 11 from the floor uh, with one three-pointer in that uh, num- in those numbers, and he was three of three from the free-throw line, two blocks as well. Um, Jamal Murray with 23 points, nine assists, 20 points for Peyton Watson, uh, the second-year player, I believe, coming off the bench. Um let me just double check that. Yes. I believe he's a second year player. Uh, 12 points for Contavious Caldwell Pope, 12 off the bench as well for the rookie Julian Strother, and then 11 points for Christian Brown. A touch better from the bench, and certainly an historic night from Nikola Jokic. And then no John Moran on top of that. Um, that's a recipe for a big Nuggets victory. Um, why I imagine probably same thing, not too much more to add before we jump into our last game. That that game is also pretty straightforward. Pretty straightforward. Yeah, I was per- just gonna make a joke about your uh, saying that the, the uh, Grizzlies need more mileage to hang with the Nuggets, and about you know the Mile High City. <laughs> oh, I see. I see. I wasn't uh, even thinking about that. I, I, I was formulating it, but then I was like, yeah. <laughs> they need to. They need more miles to be able to climb the mile <laughs> high up to the arena. I don't to know. climb up to dinner. There's something yeah. there. There's something there. Uh, somebody, <laughs> somebody smarter than us can figure that one out. But yeah. uh, text in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> text. In. Maybe we'll have to get a text line. Or something. But um, yeah, let's jump to that last game. Uh, the San, San Antonio Spurs in Portland against the Trailblazers. Uh, Spurs get a another win. Um, they're second in the time frame that the Pistons have not won any games. Sorry, Detroit. I just have to. These are the comparisons I have to make. Um, but 118 to 105, your final score for the Spurs and Wembenyama, a historic game in this. Let's go over that. Uh, Wembenyama, again, second only, uh, this time to David Robinson as far as rookies with at least 30 points, five rebounds, five assists, and seven blocks. He's also the first ever player, full stop, with 30 points and seven blocks under 30 minutes played. In fact, he only played... Uh, 24 minutes and 21 seconds in this game to accumulate those numbers. And uh, as the Spurs still struggle at this point, Wembenyama is showing every reason why he was the number one pick uh, in this draft. They controlled this game beginning to end. And uh, I mean, 64% from the floor for him. He was two of four from three, 10 of 10 from the free throw line, doing it in a variety of ways. And he leads the league right now, I believe in blocks. So, Phenomenal stats for him. He was joined by Devin Vassell's 17 points, seven assists, and four steals. Uh, 16 points for Jeremy Sohan starting at forward. How about that, Greg Popovich? I know you're a legend, but Sohan at, at forward, it's almost like that is his position, but that's besides the point. Um, Malachi Branham, 13 points, and then 11 points off the bench for Zach Collins. Uh, for the Trailblazers, they had some great games from Jeremy Grant, 29 points and 10 boards. Malcolm Brogdon, 29 points, six assists. And then Scoot Henderson, 25 points and four assists. Uh, Six turnovers for Henderson, though. Outside of those guys, no one scored more than seven for the Trailblazers. And the Spurs were just a little more well-rounded, five double-figure scorers. A guy with nine, a guy, two guys with eight. So a little bit better all-round game for the Spurs. And again, they're powered by uh, one of the better rookie performances probably in NBA history. I mean, just a phenomenal stat line 
And uh, that kind of takes care of that game. Why I know you're a little bit of a Spurs fan. Um, and of course, Wembenyama is a, a sensation for everyone. Your thoughts on, on Wemby and the Spurs before we uh, kind of get to our remaining games. Yeah. I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I've, I've heard some uh, whispers that people don't really like Wembenyama, like teammates. Really? Uh, I don't know if that's, I don't know if there's any merit to that, mm. but I just thought it was an interesting, uh, an interesting uh, fact to consider at least. It is interesting. Well, and I will say, I don't know if it's the same thing, but I have seen on social media plenty of either Spurs fans or people just watching the Spurs because of Wembenyama, you know, countless plays where he it gets open. I mean, he's seemingly open most plays. You know, you just walk inside and throw it up high and he'll go up and grab yeah. it. But uh, he's open, and instead of passing it to him, either Kelton Johnson or Jeremy Sohan will take kind of a weird shot. And so there's thoughts about um, – there was some commentator, I think it was a commentator for another team, I think it was Chicago Bulls, saying uh, – it, it would have been um, Stacey King, I think, saying all oh, the Spurs have these guys that are trying to figure out if they're the guy. They're not. Wembenyama's the guy, you know, like as far as the star they're going to build around. Right. Um, so I don't know if it's the same thing, but that's certainly interesting. You know, you almost think of the, when LeBron first got to, to the Cavs and before they drafted him, they had some young talent of their own. And those guys were like, well, we have, you know, we have guys that play his position and we feel like we're getting, you know, we can get better and all that stuff, but, uh, comes as the territory, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, no, yeah. I, otherwise, I mean, yeah, he's been phenomenal. It's hard to deny uh, the talent and at some point the Spurs will get good as well. But um, for now that takes care of those games. Let's real quick run through those other games. We didn't have a chance to talk about firstly from Wednesday uh, Raptors beat the wizards in Washington, 132 to 102. Uh, the Sixers beat the magic in Orlando, 112 to 92. Um, no uh, Joel Embiid in that game. That's the Sixers first win this season without Embiid. So that's a nice uh, uh, thing for them to have gotten out of the way. Uh, the Bucks beat the Nets in Brooklyn, 144 to 122. The Oklahoma City Thunder won at home against the Knicks, 129 to 120. Um, let's see. And that is the Thunder's best record at this point in the season since the 2016 season, the year that they lost in the conference finals to the Warriors when they had Durant and Westbrook. So they continued to etch their name as one of the best teams in the Thunder's franchise history. Uh, the Suns beat the Rockets in Houston, 129 to 113. Uh, and that was KD's first triple-double as a Sun. So those are the other games from Wednesday. And then Thursday night, last night, uh, the Pelicans beat the Jazz in New Orleans, 112 to 105. The Timberwolves beat the Mavericks, 118 to 110 in Minnesota. Uh, Anthony Edwards set his season high for points in that game with 44 points. Uh, there was no Luka in that game for the Mavericks, so definitely shorthanded. Um, the, uh, Miami heat won in golden state against the warriors, 114 to 102. And, uh, the LA Lakers won at home against the Charlotte Hornets, 133 to 112. And that is your remaining games while we're at it. Let's just run through the remaining news, mostly transactions and injury updates. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks have waived guard Dexter Dennis, who was on a two-way deal and have signed guard Brandon Williams to a two-way deal to replace that. And then the San Antonio Spurs have waived uh, center Charles Bediaco, who was on a two-way deal. 
that's following a torn left meniscus. Some people get it mixed up where, oh, he's just being fired, basically. That's not exactly how the two-way deal works, as I understand it. His you know, ability to be brought back and forth easily between the Spurs and uh, their G League affiliate, uh, that's kind of severed, but he remains a, a solid member of that G League affiliate team. So it's not like he's kicked to the curb because he got injured. He just won't be. The Spurs will just have someone else that they'll get that two-way mileage out of in terms of a player they can call up. So that's what that means. Um, some injury updates. The Charlotte Hornets uh, forward Gordon Hayward is out with a calf strain. He'll be reevaluated in two weeks. Uh, and then for the Detroit Pistons, forward center Isaiah Stewart is out one to two weeks with a right toe sprain. So we definitely want to wish those guys the best as they work to recover from those injuries. Uh, for the Phoenix Suns, uh, yet again, uh, guard Bradley Beal will return tonight for the Suns. He'll be back again. Hopefully it's to stay this time. If he gets injured again, I might lose my mind. But uh, that's besides the point. Uh, finally, uh, update for the Washington Wizards. Kyle Kuzma as the recipient of November's NBA Cares Community Assist Award. Uh, congratulations to Kuzma. Great to see uh, players being able to be a factor in their communities and a positive impact. Uh, great stuff. Great news. And uh, speaking of news, that takes care of the news. So let's go ahead and uh, move right into our latest franchise focus. It's been a little while since we've done this, but we're going to talk this time about the Indiana Pacers. Franchise focus. All right, and thanks again to Microsoft Mike for his talents there on the uh, the call, as well as uh, uh, Masayoshi Takanaka for the music. Uh, we don't get credit him enough. Uh, great stuff there. So yeah, with the Pacers, of course, they're a team that uh, has been rebuilding, and we talked a little bit about Halliburton. Of course, he's the centerpiece. That's where this all starts. Um, but Wyatt, maybe, well, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out how I want to phrase this. I mean, looking at the team right now, the last few seasons have been a mix between near the play-in mix or in the play-in mix and not quite there. Um, this season so far, 16 and 14, they're above 500. Uh, of course, the in-season tournament run was a Cinderella-type run. Uh, looking at their lineup right now, again, Halliburton, the point guard, and he's been sensational. Miles Turner the the long trade rumor name that is now a complimentary piece to Hal Burton, uh, I think gets underrated. His production has dropped a bit, but I still like his play and he's still not that old. Uh, he's uh, 27. I mean, he's still got plenty of basketball left in him and he's a, he's a good center for the modern NBA in terms of some stretch ability, uh, a pick and roll threat. So I like his fit there. You know, they've got Obi Toppin now who started most of his games and has been <clears throat> kind of a rim runner you know, that helps them push the pace and get out on the break uh, in that style of basketball they love to play. So I like that fit. They've been starting Bruce Brown a lot um, alongside either Buddy Heald or Benedict Matherin. So they're kind of playing, you know, shooting guards, two shooting guards as your your guard and your forward, which in the modern NBA, you know, a ton of guys do that. So it's not a huge deal. Um, both those guys, either Heald or Brown, uh, can shoot the three healed a lot more than uh, Brown, certainly, but Matherin as well. So, I mean, there's plenty of things to like with that rotation. Maybe I'll, why, where I'll go with this is what are your thoughts on as this team transitions from a play in mixed team that has some ability to a team that wants to be 
a consistent threat in the Eastern Conference. What do you think they need to add, whether it's some kind of a trade acquisition, a free agent move, uh, or something else to maybe, you know, help them make that next leap? Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good question. Um one of the big things I think that they need is experience. You know, they're a they're a young and talented team, and obviously we've seen they're capable of great things given the mm-hmm. season tournament. But it is hard to be consistent and it is hard to be truly successful. Um, in like a high pressure situation without having some really solid experience. And I'm actually looking at their roster right now. And I think there's like three people on their roster that are appreciably older than me mm. and you, you know, <laughs> which, you know, James Johnson yep. was born in 87 and then Buddy Hield and TJ McConnell were in 92. Mm-hmm. But everyone else, well, Miles Turner was 96, so a few years older. But yeah. everyone else is like 98, 99, and mm-hmm. up to like 2003. And, you know, Buddy Hield, one of the more experienced and uh, successful players, really hasn't seen, you know, like any real significant playoff success or anything Mm -hmm. so i think adding someone a little bit of a veteran you know you want to be careful with that when you're a young building team because obviously they they may not be around uh for your target like real competitive years but you know Mm -hmm. they need they need someone with a little bit of playoff experience in their under their belt to uh really kind of lead the team in that regard for sure yeah and playoff experience especially is going to be the the determining factor you know bruce brown gets kind of lost and not lost in the shuffle but he's kind of a mix where he's a fairly young guy um but he also has playoff experience and championship experience from last year yeah true you know and that that felt like that move i mean he has what 40 games worth of playoff experience that move in this most recent offseason was a step towards that. So, yeah, you know, I think you're right on as far as them needing that outside of Brown, they probably need a little bit more. And some of that you factor or you figure is going to come when they, they get better, they'll get that experience and then they'll start to stabilize as those younger guys grow into the playoff experience. Um, You know, yeah, James Johnson has played a handful of playoff games, but outside of that, they could use maybe one more veteran guy. You know, I almost think like a, a veteran big man, um, well, maybe not. Cause I mean, I like Isaiah Jackson off the bench for miles Turner. I like his, he was one of my favorite guys coming off the bench. Jalen Smith has been solid for them. So they, they they're fairly balanced as a roster. Honestly, I mean, Nemhard yeah. is a backup point guard. You can play Bruce Brown there in spot minutes. You have forwards McConnell, of course, is great as a backup. They have plenty of depth. They could almost get away with, uh, trading their recent draft pick, Jarris Walker, who hasn't had much of a chance again, as this team shifts to that contention or, or hopeful, you know, Eastern conference mix, maybe he's a name that gets shifted to bring in a bigger name um, veteran who would help them with that experience and help them close out games. You know, I think that could be a great asset to them. I would, I would echo that same sentiment along with just, you know, 
maybe just seeing a bit more from uh, from Miles Turner. You know, if Halliburton's distributing and there's a ton of guys in the double figures, you don't need a lot of, you know, another guy being a high scorer. But if you can have Turner, I mean, he's at 17 points a game so far. If you can have him more like 20 a game uh, with a touch more rebounding, I feel like they would maybe have a couple more wins. It's not exactly how that translates, but I feel like his play, if he was a, a, a touch better, you know, they would be so much better in the season. So that's my take. I think the veteran thing would definitely help. But if you're a Pacers fan, you've got to be pretty happy. You know, they've, it wasn't too long ago in, you know, 2019, 2020, where they were, you know, with Oladipo and a younger Demonis Sabonis, they were in the playoffs and, and you know, first rounds mix. They had, you know, Paul George less than 10 years ago. So it hasn't been a terribly long rebuild and it hasn't been a team that's been losing massive amounts of games, but now they're an opportunity with a potential all NBA talent to then resurface in the Eastern conference, top four, top five mix. So I think they've got to feel great about that. And um, we'll kind of let that shift us into the, the Pacers franchise as a whole a little bit. Of course they have a, a unique franchise history. One of only four teams in the NBA that have ABA roots um, and you know, much of their early years in the NBA were kind of in futility. The late 70s throughout the whole 80s, they kind of just struggled until they got Reggie Miller and they were a powerhouse in the 90s and early 2000s. But in their ABA years, if you talk about the ABA franchises, the Pacers were the ABA. That's been said a few different times. Um, they were the flagship franchise. They were the standard of the ABA, the gold standard for those franchises. They won three NBA finals or ABA finals rather uh, in their nine years in that league. They made the playoffs every single season and they had dominant, dominant teams. And, you know, plenty of people in especially ABA fans like myself talk about those teams, any of those teams, especially the championship teams. Today, we're going to talk about the last of those three championship teams and the 1973 Indiana Pacers that went 51 and 33 and won the ABA finals in a close seven game series versus the Kentucky Colonels, a team that was just as stacked as the Pacers were. And I was talking to White about this before we hopped on, you know, I kind of compare these Pacers to what the Celtics were of the NBA in the late sixties and early seventies a team that had been the best in its league and was dominant in terms of championships and best players, guys like Mel Daniels and Roger Brown were, you know, all time greats of the ABA, but then they just added either experienced or younger all-star type talent. And they had stacked teams and this 73 squad had seven all-stars either that were, you know, formerly all-stars were future all-stars in the making or were all-stars that season. Two of them were this season, um, the aforementioned Mel Daniels. This season, starting to regress and play just a touch in terms of the overall stats, 18 points a game, 15 rebounds, two blocks, two assists um, as a, a 6'9", I, she's old. Yeah, 6'9", 220 center, a little undersized, but again, he was a, he was a dominant center in the ABA. Uh, alongside him, though, George McGinnis, a young George McGinnis, 27 and a half points a game, 12 and a half rebounds, two steals per game. Um, and th there's only a couple of guys that have blocks or steals tracked for the season um, is the early days of those kind of stats. But those two guys carried this team 
especially McGinnis uh, in this playoff run. He was their the, the ABA's playoffs MVP. He was just a phenomenal player. And we'll talk about him a little bit later. Um, he'll be actually our, our franchise player to, to give that away. But the rest of the team, Freddie Lewis was an all-star formerly. Uh, Roger Brown, as we mentioned, was a former all-star who had been uh, slowed down by injury. Donnie Freeman, former all-star again. Don Busey, I believe, was a future all-star in the making. And then they happen to have somebody, somebody, I think I knew he was on this team, but I'd forgotten he was on this team. A guy by the name of Gus Johnson, who in the 60s with the Baltimore Bullets was a 20-point, 10-rebound, power forward, small forward. You know, maybe the original, um, I wouldn't say LeBron James because he doesn't have the passing. Um, it's easy to think LeBron when you think of strong, sizable forwards who could you know, grab boards who would just out muscle guys and who could finish inside. He had the dunks. He had, he had all that stuff. He was a, a great defender as well. So they had him as a veteran alongside all of these former or current all-stars in their era. And that finals was equally matched again by this stacked colonels team that had at power forward and center Dan Issel and artist Gilmore, who were like the two best players in the ABA at the time on the same team in the same front court. Um, just unbelievable. And the Pacers didn't have a ton of size going against that. I mean, artist Gilmore, seven, two Dan Issel is a power forward six, nine. And you wonder in that era, especially of the low post game, how a six, nine center. And a, I believe, uh, let's see, George McGinnis, six, eight power forward could match up against that, but the Pacers just played a team game and, they're the epitome of Indiana basketball, the Hoosier type stuff. And it was just a great team. And, you know, there's not much too, too much more I can add to it than that, really just recognizing what the Pacers meant to the ABA as a whole. Um, if you remember our last season's franchise focus for the Pacers, we talked about uh, the 04 Pacers and their dominance in the early 2000s. But this was one of the best teams of the whole ABA's history. Um why I know you're not too keen or not keen, but you know, not too invested in the history of the ABA specifically, or just haven't taken a lot of time, but um, maybe what you can tell me about anything you might've heard about any of these players um, or, you know, the Pacers kind of legacy or maybe just Indiana basketball in general. I don't know. Any, any thoughts to to throw in here with this talk about the Pacers <laughs> and these, these teams. Well, I immediately think of uh, Parks and Rec. And okay. The... <laughs> Have you seen Parks and Rec? No, but it does take place in Indiana, right? Yeah, it does. And Pawnee uh, and Leslie Nope, the main character, she is kind of, she's kind of like a, your stereotypical, uh, I guess, politician or government worker you know mm. like but she's like way over the top and everything so she like loves everything about indiana pawnee whatever and so she's a big uh pacers um person and mm. and i just i kind of imagine you know obviously they they make that super dramatic in the show but 
I kind of imagine, you know, anytime I think about the Pacers and their fans, I kind of imagine them being a little bit that way. All of them just doesn't matter if they, you know, maybe haven't been that great the past few years or whatever. They're mm-hmm. all like just super passionate, love their team, really yeah. invested in, you know, the, even if they're not necessarily successful right now, they're uh, passionate about the history and the, I, I guess the the respect that the Pacers name demands based on this rich history you've kind of talked about. Yeah, absolutely. A, a phenomenal history and especially, you know, yeah, just the love of the game at all levels. You know, it starts with the high school level and you're talking about you picture the Pacer fan. I talk, I, I picture, you know, every Indiana fan has their high school team and it's a similar thing where probably every high school has some sort of history of great players and great, you know, oh, state championships and all those kind of things. And, you know, look at this back, this team we had at this time, you know, and I know, I don't know if that is to a fault in the sense that Indiana people maybe get tired of the whole Hoosier trope, but it's like, that's a good thing to hang your hat on as far as loving the sport of basketball and the game and, and the history of it, you know, and I think the Pacers are a great team to have to be able to hang your hat on that history. And um, one last comment on this team specifically before we move to our player. Um, and this is kind of off topic from what we were talking about, but again, it was 1973 that the Pacers won their last ABA championship. The last, the, the team that won their last NBA championship in 1973 was the New York Knicks. And those two in the nineties had a fierce rivalry and Reggie Miller was an antagonist to the Knicks. And I love that rivalry. Whenever that comes up in any sort of semblance, uh, Pacers versus Knicks, I love that rivalry. But um, yeah, at some point, I believe the Pacers will win an NBA championship. They've been to the finals uh, once in the NBA and faced a juggernaut in the Lakers of the early 2000s. But they will win one at some point. Um, but still a dominant team for the ABA in 1973. And again, we're going to focus on that player from that team. We're talking about George McGinnis. And I mentioned two weeks ago, it was December 14th that he passed away. And I thought at that time and mentioned it, that I would love to be able to talk about his career a little more in detail and pay him kind of, you know, tribute and respect. And, um, it was a good thing that our Pacers franchise focus was going to be coming up soon. So I'd be able to do it just right here. Um, and, not just the Pacers, but he meant a lot to what we're talking about, that Indiana institution of basketball. Um, he was born in Alabama, but grew up in Indiana, went to high school in Indiana. Um, his high school team went undefeated and won a state title in 1969. Um, he was Mr. Basketball in the state of Indiana. I mean, high school career, already a legend in Indiana. Then he goes to college at IU, Indiana University, playing with the Hoosiers. Um, And he averaged just about 30 points per game in the one season that he played uh, in Indiana. I think he might have actually gone to um, now just the one the one year, but he was a sophomore. I'm curious if there's like a junior college or something that's not mentioned on this. But Anyways, it was the the lone season he played there was the year before Bob Knight was the coach at Indiana. So it was right before that whole legacy run uh, with the Hoosiers and, and Bob Knight's career. But he was All-American, uh, All-Big Ten, you know, phenomenal one season with the Hoosiers. And then he goes on to be a great pacer. 
He was an ABA MVP in 1975. Um, how about this? Game four of the 75 ABA Western semifinals, Western Division semifinals. McGinnis recorded the first 50-point triple-double in combined NBA-ABA playoff history. He had 51 points, 17 rebounds, and 10 assists, which has only ever been matched by Russell Westbrook of the Thunder in 2017. Phenomenal stats for this guy, and it continues. Uh, He became the first player in NBA-ABA history to record 200-plus points, 100-plus rebounds, and 50-plus assists in a single playoff series which he accomplished twice in back-to-back series. Um, he did it against the Spurs in that same division semifinals and then against the Nuggets in the 75 uh, Western Division finals. They lost that final series, but um, phenomenal numbers. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo is the only other player to do that who did it just a couple of years ago in the Eastern Conference semifinals. Um, incredible numbers. You know, his his prime, I was saying to Wyatt earlier, from 73 uh, to 76, his last three years with the Pacers and then his first year in the NBA with the Philadelphia 76ers, averaged about 26.5 points per game, 13.5 rebounds, four assists, two steals. And he was kind of shades of, again, a LeBron type as far as the physicality and size at a forward with, you know, Elgin Baylor, high scoring, high rebounding, um, a little bit of playmaking, so maybe you throw in, you know, a light Russell Westbrook thing there. I don't know, just a dynamic player and uh, underrated in that in the ABA, especially because people don't talk about the ABA uh, as being the same caliber as the NBA. But they had some phenomenal players and some phenomenal play. Um, his first year in the NBA, again, was with the 76ers. He wanted to go to the New York Knicks, actually. And there was a whole dispute. This happened a ton with the ABA players where NBA teams would, would, you know, draft them in their draft, even though they knew they were going to play in the ABA so that they would have their draft rights for when they thought the league would inevitably fold. And it kind of did, but it was more of a merger. Um, There was a dispute and, you know, some lawsuits, litigation. Um, Larry O'Brien was the new commissioner at the time of the NBA. And he kind of, uh, through some some harsh treatment on the Knicks for their part in them trying to steal McGinnis away from the uh, from the Sixers. They had to forfeit a draft spot and uh, repay the Sixers for expenses related to it. Uh, So McGinnis ends up signing with the Sixers and helps lead them to the NBA finals that same season. 77 finals where they played against the Portland Trailblazers and the Trailblazers won that series. Um, He played three full seasons in Philly before going to the Denver Nuggets, where he uh, was again named an all-star uh, touch of a resurgent season there, 22 points a game, 11 rebounds um, traded midway through the 80 season back to the Pacers in that, at that point, the Pacers were struggling and they were struggling to get attendance in the early eighties. So it was more like, Hey, we got this guy who was an all-star and uh, MVP when we're in the ABA, let's bring him back in. But his play declined. He was dealing with injuries um, and uh, he retired after the 80, after the 82 season. But I mean, had a great run. He's one of four players in Pacers history to have his jersey retired. Um, and he was named to the Basketball Hall of Fame in 2017. Certainly well deserved for his, you know, high school, college, and NBA career. All of those things. Um, and uh, again, yeah, he passed away recently. Um, 
health declined uh, over the last few years due to back problems. Um, and he had multiple surgeries with that. Died of heart complications uh, in Indianapolis uh, just two weeks ago, December 14th at age 73. Um, 73, the year that they won that championship. Um, kind of you know interesting to note that, but a great career. Um, I'll kind of leave it at that. Wyatt, any thoughts on on McGinnis and kind of what we've heard and talked about before we move on to our next segment? Uh, I think he's, I think he sounds like an awesome guy. The I was impressed by the fifty point triple double, mm. Studley, especially for that time. Absolutely, yeah. I, I, I thought that was incredible and uh, an incredible player and a, a credit to Indiana basketball. We'll leave it at that and definitely. Um, Lost, lost them too soon. It's a tough loss for the NBA family and fans of the old ABA. Um, so that being said, let's go ahead and move into our next segment. Uh, this will be a, a much briefer segment where we're going to talk about uh, our updates on our Fantasy Fridays type stuff. Okay, I will go ahead and start us off. Um, and Wyatt is, of course, part of this league as well. Let's go ahead and check into our, you know, just while we're on the show, look at our teams and where we're at. Um, my weekly matchup, I don't know where you're at. I'm trailing right now. But to be fair, I hadn't updated my lineups for a couple of days this week. So that was a factor. Um, I'm currently, oh, I've moved up to second in my conference. So that's a surprise, but I'm still below 500 at a four and five record. Meanwhile, Wyatt is at a six and three record. It looks like Wyatt, have what's, what have you found uh, that's been a recipe for success? Maybe you can help me out with my team. Oh, I, you know, I had to take a little bit of a page out of uh, the guy who's winning in my conference, Mr. Matthews. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, I've always been one that I kind of like to hold on to my guys. You know, I don't, I don't want to give up on them. I, I feel like I'm a little too optimistic, but this year I've been a little more. Uh, I know my roster doesn't reflect it right now, but I've tried to be a little bit more quick on. All right, this person <laughs> is has declined his performance. You know, booing hmm. him, picking up someone from the, um, someone from the available player pool yeah Uh, so i've kind of been doing that and it's it's been successful although right now i have anthony simmons gordon hayward and Lamelo ball all injured well Mm. that's not true anthony simmons is just sick but uh, yeah they're all considered out uh and anthony simmons and and gordon hayward are both two of those like people that I've picked up and, you know, potentially could <laughs> drop again, but, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't want to, cause they've actually both had some pretty, like they've been both been really great for me when they're healthy, you know? Yeah, for sure. And uh, I mean, I I'm right there with you. I have Evan Mobley and Kyrie Irving who have missed the last few weeks with injury. Mobley's going to miss another several weeks. So it's tough, but it's, you know, those are players, especially Irving, where it's like, well, I can't let you go. I haven't been utilizing IR. Why haven't I moved into IR? I'm I don't just know. realizing I, this. I, I do. I do utilize that. <laughs> I I forget about that. I mean, I have that. I've, of course, I've mentioned a few times that I'm doing fantasy football as well. By the way, 
I made it to my fantasy leagues championship game. Ooh, That's a league nice. of it's a league of six people, half of whom like barely touch the app. So I don't think it's much of an accomplishment, but yeah. um, yeah. I'm still excited about it. Um, anyways, so I definitely need to utilize that a little bit more. But um, you know, looking at uh, yeah, Mr. Matthews, he seems to have updated his lineup. Uh, far more than any of us oh, seems like, like every daily. every other day, every <laughs> yeah. couple of days, he, you know, makes some sort of move or something. But um, no, I have, um, let's see, you know what I was going to do? I was going to check your lineup real quick because I had proposed a trade at some point and you said, no, nah, you said, no, nah, I'm good. And I want to <laughs> see if I can find a trade that I like, because I've been wanting to see if I can make some moves. You know what? Let's propose a trade. That's a good deal is what you said. I, yeah, uh, Evan Mobley, Malcolm Brogdon, or Michael Porter Jr. for Keegan Murray. Yeah, I thought that was. I'm giving up a lot of capital to get, um, one player who isn't a huge leap ahead of those guys. You know, I thought that was a nice yeah. move. But you said no. True, it's very reasonable, but <laughs> but the thing, the problem is, it's it's really just a one for one because I don't have you know three spots that I would like be able to fill the other guys into well you would have the option to drop any other guys where if you want it you know if you preferred the yeah. others you know yeah, here let sure. me l- let me give you this trade offer and i think you're gonna like it okay. um let's see let's do Jokic for gordon hayworth deal not quite oh. all right i've proposed this there's less moving parts it's one for two this trade is you want Jalen Williams in exchange for Malcolm Brogdon and Michael Porter Jr. I think that's a good deal. Ooh. I mean, it's not it's not bad, except for Jalen Williams is on the up and up, man. He's been uh he is a little bit. Look look at the his last game. It's 41, 62, 41, 45, 37. Yeah. So, so uh, sorry <laughs> <laughs> all right fair enough i just thought more so it'd be funny to do a trade proposal while we're yeah. on the show but now why it's been doing a little bit a little bit better than me but um regardless i've made some picks for us some names to talk about some movers up and down as we've kind of done most weeks um and i'll just run through those real quick uh one riser i have despite the mounting losses i'm gonna go with Cade cunningham um because as we've talked about he's still been a bright spot you know he's his stats have been up and up over the last couple of weeks um he's up about uh four and a half points uh 0.5 steals nearly 10 percent from the floor so he's he's scoring more and, and a little more defensively active i like that even though the pistons are losing i like his stat increases and his continual you know despite they're losing he's you know emerging as you know borderline all-star caliber. I mean, he's been very good. Um, one faller is a guy that actually beat him this week a couple of times. Mikhail Bridges, his scoring is down about four and a half points. The, the per- shooting percentage is about down, down about 9%, rebounding down as well. His production is down and the nets haven't been as you know interesting or intriguing as they were earlier in the season. Ben Simmons still out. Um, They've won against the Pistons, but otherwise they haven't been a, a, a very exciting team compared to teams like the Pacers and the Knicks in the East that are making moves. So 
Um, I have Mikael Bridges as a follower and then a sleeper. How about Tyus Jones and forgotten movement, uh, a piece that moved in the off season, but went to Washington is starting at point guard, you know, on the season, not amazing numbers, about 12 points a game, maybe like five or six assists or something, maybe even less, but over the last, you know, little bit he's been averaging closer to 17 points his points are up about five points per game assists are up about two two assists a game and about one more steal a game so he has you know vastly increased his numbers um really making the most of his opportunities a starting point guard in washington so so those are my thoughts on some names there why do are any of those guys on your team i couldn't remember they're not no i mean i have some pieces from my own team that i could mention kind of in a similar nature, but none of those guys are on my team. Gotcha. Yeah. And let's maybe go with that or to close out our fantasy Fridays. So let's hear one guy, a guy that's either on the rise or on the fall for your team. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with James Harden. You know, I, we opened up and I think our first episode, I talked about how I had made some risky uh, moves in the draft, picking up James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and uh lebron uh who you know lebron really not that risky because he's always good but he is old and you know tends to get injured a little bit Um, Hmm. and (laughs) it's funny i think basically all season he's been listed day to day but he's only sat out like one game i think Mm. maybe two so he's paid off uh and james harden lately has been awesome you know the clippers are doing great they're you know moved up to fourth i think in the west Mm -hmm. uh seven and three their last 10 i believe his fantasy points 45 60 33 53 41 which is uh you know pretty impressive numbers considering the star power on the clippers team and the amount that you know the Mm -hmm. ball needs to be shared so uh i'd i'd put him as a you know, a consistent riser lately for me, for sure. Yeah, no, I think that's a great choice. I'd probably go for my team. I'd go as Drew Holiday. You know, um, he's a solid pro, and we we know that he's – it's not a surprise that he plays well, but you kind of forget about the stats he puts together. Of course, he can he can score you some points. He's a distributor, you know, a point guard with the, the Bucks last few seasons and now with the Celtics. Uh, he's a, a bigger guard who can grab boards, but then he also gets the defensive numbers. So he can just rack up a lot of stats and he does well in fantasy, not only fantasy, but actually in games as far as affecting winning. We've seen what the Celtics have done this year. So so he's been great. And so I'd go with him as maybe a, more of a sleeper, maybe for my team, as far as you know, players that have been an impact. But uh, no, yeah, Harden's been good. Clippers have been on the rise and Celtics are doing well. So. Yeah, I think I think we have some some good players, and I will find the trade at some point that you will be a fan <laughs> that of. I'll accept. Okay. Yeah, we'll we'll figure. I, I it suggested out. one. So, what was your suggestion at the beginning of the season? No, just a few minutes ago, Jokic for Harward or Hayward. <laughs> Hayward. Uh, I don't think I'm going to make that move. That seems a little bit lopsided. Um, as much as we, Whatever you know, you <laughs> much as we liked Hayward when he was with Utah. Um, he kind of stabbed us in the back, but we won't yeah. go there. That's that's <laughs> opening old wounds. Um, as far as the remainder of this episode, we're gonna pass on checking in on our weekly predictions for this episode. Um, we'll do that next episode probably. But with that being said, let's go ahead and give you the forecast for this weekend's games. Um, 
And just a reminder that the times that I list for these games are in Eastern Standard Time. So keep that in mind as you're planning your schedule uh, potentially around these games. Uh, firstly, on Saturday, we have six games, no national broadcasts. Uh, so your your games that day on at five o'clock, you have the Utah Jazz hosting the Miami Heat. Um, that game is on local access rather than league pass. So you got to have, you know, a Jazz Plus or something like that to be able to watch that one. Um, at six o'clock, the uh, Detroit Pistons host the Toronto Raptors as they look to avoid infamy and claiming the worst losing streak full stop. Um, either way, it's going to be a story for us on Monday or Tuesday, rather, this next week uh, when we come back from the break. Uh, seven o'clock, the uh, New York Knicks are in Indiana against the Pacers. There we go again, talking about that Knicks-Pacers rivalry. Um, two games at eight, the Timberwolves hosting the Lakers, and then the Bulls host the 76ers. Uh, some intrigue there. That should be some good matchups there. At 8.30, the Golden State Warriors host the Dallas Mavericks. Um, that one's interesting too. Uh, Luca going into Golden State, a rematch of a couple of years ago, the Western Conference Finals. The Warriors, of course, struggling. Um Mavericks, the better team. It'll be interesting to see how that matchup plays out. So those are your Saturday games on Sunday, six games again, no national broadcasts again. Um, but we start with a little bit of a matinee, a little earlier game uh, at three o'clock, the Washington Wizards hosting the Atlanta Hawks in your Southeast division matchup, three games at seven. San Antonio Spurs host the Boston Celtics. Then the Nets travel to OKC to face the Thunder. And then finally, the Pelicans will host the Lakers. So Lakers back-to-back nights on the road in Northwest Division matchups. Or actually, no, Timberwolves Northwest, Pelicans Southwest. So um, regardless, a lot of travel from the Lakers. Then two games at eight to close it out. The Phoenix Suns host the Orlando Magic. And then the Memphis Grizzlies hosts the Sacramento Kings. Uh, Kings Grizzlies is interesting, as is Magic Suns. I'd like to see if you know a team like Orlando can get a win against uh, a Suns squad that's been a little bit more vulnerable than we might have thought uh, earlier in the season. And then on Monday, we have eight games. We do have one national broadcast. That's on NBA TV. Again, a little earlier, 3 o'clock, the New York Knicks host the Minnesota Timberwolves. That's on uh, New Year's Day, actually. And that would be an interesting one. Um, and this is maybe an off topic thing, but you know, it's a common talking point with the Knicks and Madison Square Garden about stars in the NBA. Oh, you go into Madison Square Garden, you have a signature game, you have a breakout game. Um, what if we could see something like that from Anthony Edwards? I think that'd be really exciting, um, to see that Nick crowd get behind, uh, you know, Ant and what he's able to do. Um, Maybe just kind of projecting and hoping that something like that happens because I like Anthony Edwards, but mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. Uh, your remaining games at 730, the Toronto Raptors host the Cleveland Cavaliers. Two games at eight o'clock, the Bucks host the Pacers, a rematch of the game that had all the drama with Giannis scoring 64 points and then the ball was stolen and all that whole thing. That'll be interesting. Um, and then also at eight, the Houston Rockets host the Detroit Pistons again. The streak is on watch there, potentially. Um, At 9 o'clock, the Utah Jazz hosts the Dallas Mavericks. Again, not on League Pass. It's on Utah. It's on Jazz Plus. It's on local Utah uh, cable channels. Uh, Also at 9, the Phoenix Suns host the Portland Trailblazers. uh, And that's going to be DeAndre Ayton returning to Phoenix. That's interesting to watch for. Um, Also at 9, the Denver Nuggets host the Charlotte Hornets. Then finally at 10.30, the uh, LA Clippers host the Miami Heat. Uh, so those are your games for this weekend. Wyatt, maybe just give me one game real quick that you definitely want to tune into. Uh, Lakers, Timberwolves. 
Okay. To, uh, I mean, Timberwolves obviously leading the West, and uh, Lakers a pretty great team in the West as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that'd be a good game. Also, I saw an interesting stat today that LeBron actually has a higher three point shooting percentage than Steph Curry this year. So really? that was kind of yeah, kind of kind of a crazy stat, right? That LeBron, is crazy. LeBron's at 41.7 uh and Steph is at 41 even I believe. Uh that's correct on Steph's part. Let me go ahead and check LeBron real quick. Just got to make sure we we got to get the facts straight here. Wow, he is 41.3%. That is surprising. Oh, point three? Yeah, point 0.3. Oh, it so, was 0.7 earlier, so he must have Oh, missed. okay. He, <laughs> but he's he's missed a couple. Yeah. But no, that is crazy. I hadn't I hadn't realized that. Um, no, yeah, that's a great choice. Um, LeBron versus Edwards, and especially with the Timberwolves doing well. I would probably go with um it just for the sake of, you know, oh f- former player returning to his, you know, actually no, I'm gonna go Pacers Bucks. Central division, that's yeah. a tight knit division. Those games can get wild, and especially with the recent history. I'm curious to see if there's some fireworks with that game. So Pacers Bucks is what I would go with as far as a game to watch for. But uh, yeah, a lot of exciting action. It's going to be a great uh, New Year's weekend. With that, let me go ahead and get us ready to wrap up with our This Day in History fact for you. And for this one, we're going back to 1997, uh, December 29th of 1997. Dallas's Bubba Wells recorded six fouls in three minutes of a 111 to 105 loss to Chicago. He broke the 41-year-old uh, NBA record of five minutes set by Dick Fairley of the Syracuse Nationals. How about that for a record? And there's actually a breakdown, uh, Secret Base, that does a lot of great sports content on YouTube. Definitely check them out. They have a video uh, in their segment of high scores where it's like, you know, breaking records of different kinds. And it was about, you know, fastest uh, to foul out of a game. And I think this is the fastest of all time. And they talk about that. So definitely recommend <laughs> checking that out. Yeah. Was he trying to, I mean, you have to almost think that he was attempting to do that. Yeah. I, you would have to think, I mean, that's phenomenal to rack up that many fouls. I want to say it was like a, you know, precursor to hack a shack where they were fouling, you know, like a Dennis Rodman because he was a pretty bad free throw shooter. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, but I also feel like, he ended up making a lot of free throws and it didn't necessarily pan out. Sometimes that <laughs> does happen, but um, yeah, definitely recommend checking out the video. Very interesting, uh, interesting footnote in NBA history. But with that, let's go ahead and uh, prepare to wrap things up. Thank you again, everyone for listening uh, real quick. I'll plug our social media uh, pages. We're on Instagram and Facebook at crossover across time, pretty straightforward on Twitter or X, whichever you prefer as far as the name there. Um, we're at X over across time, just due to the character limit on the username on all of those, you can find a link tree that will take you to any of the other pages, but we'll also take you to where you can listen to the podcast itself. We're on, uh, Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, and RSS.com. So definitely, you know, you're already tuning in. So we appreciate your support that way. Any other ways you could support us would definitely be greatly appreciated. Why any closing thoughts before we uh, wrap up today's show? Enjoy the rest of 2023, everyone, and I hope you have a happy new year. Absolutely. We will see you next year. Classic gag. Um, Anyways, <laughs> thank you again for tuning in. And uh, yes, next week we'll be on on Tuesday and 
Friday. So a little bit of a different schedule until the following week where we get back to our normal Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So uh, with that, thanks again for listening and we'll be back with you on Tuesday. Tuesday.